We welcome all of you for being part of our Bible study tonight. My name is Abraham Manasseh, and we have these Bible studies every, uh, every Monday. In South Africa, it's 7 p.m., so we have been doing this for almost a year now. And if you want to listen to our previous Bible studies, we have a podcast. Just go to drmanasseh.com, and you should be able to, uh, to listen to our previous Bible studies. If you want to listen on the radio, we are, uh, we are live on the radio. You can go to www.charismalife.co.za. Charismalife.co.za. And you will be able to listen to our Bible studies uh, every Monday from 7 uh, to 8. If you want to contact us, go ahead and contact us. You can also send an email to info at drmanasseh.com. Info at drmanasseh.com. So we would love to hear from you. For those of us who uh, were part of the Bible study in the previous weeks, we have been focusing on rebuilding relationships. And we focused on Paul. We talked about Paul. We also looked at Paul's growth in ministry. We looked at the church of Antioch. We looked at Barnabas, the encourager. And we also spent some time with John Mark, the one who wrote the book of Mark. Last week we, we were talking about Peter, and we saw Peter and his service in ministry and how he walked with Jesus uh, to the very end. And as we were talking about Peter, we introduced to his brother Andrew. And also we introduced to, uh, to his cousins, John and James. John and James, these were the sons of Zebedee, and they were partners in, uh, in their fishing business. They were working together as fishermen, and they also joined Jesus' ministry. Today we'll look at those, one of those two brothers. That's John. We're going to look at John. And John is a younger brother of James. So John and James, they were sons of Zebedee. And that's what we're going to, that's a one person that we're going to look at today. John is the one who wrote the book of John, or the gospel according to John. And what we're going to focus on tonight is the purpose of the book is that you may believe. That you may believe. And that's what we'll focus on. You'll see that as we progress that the purpose of the book of John is so that we could believe, and God wants us to, to believe. Let's quickly go through our usual location just to give you an idea of where we are. And, and just look at the map and see where we are. This is the map, and this is Africa here. This is South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zambia. We have Tanzania, we have Kenya. And we have Sudan, and we have Libya, we have Egypt. Now, as you go up north from Egypt, you cross the Red Sea. This side we have Israel. This is this area, it's Israel. That's what we're focusing on. And this is Jerusalem. Next to Jerusalem, there is a very small town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. So Jesus was born here in Bethlehem. He did a lot of his ministry up north, around the Sea of Galilee, but finally he died in Jerusalem. That's where he was crucified in Jerusalem. So, what we're going to focus on 
today will mostly take place here in this area, the Sea of Galilee area. John, that we're talking about, he was born probably in Bethsaida. And, but he did a lot of ministry and he stayed for a long time with Jesus in this area, uh, in the Capernaum area. And we will see quite a number of places that we, uh, we're going to talk about. Another place that we'll part, partly talk about is Cana or Cana. It's, it's in the western part of the Sea of Galilee, this small place here, this small village here or the small town here, Cana. That is where Jesus performed this first miracle, where he changed water into wine. Water into wine. This is Tiberias, and this side, that's where we have what you call Decapolis, that's the ten cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So this Capernaum, that's where the headquarters of Jesus' ministry were. And that's what we'll be uh, focusing on today, or that's where we'll be uh, today. Now let me go back to uh, our PowerPoint here. Yeah. This is the northern part, that's where I was talking about. That's the area that we call uh, the Galilee area. The southern part of it is, this, uh, is the land of Judea. But then we'll focus mostly here in the Sea of Galilee and the neighboring cities here like the Capernaum, Magdala. That's where Mary Magdalene was coming from. The Tiberias, the, you see here is Cana again. Uh, that's where the first miracle took place. That's what we'll be focusing on uh, today. Now let's look at the author of the book of John. The author of the book of John is John. Is John. And usually refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John was born in Bethsaida, like we have said, and he's a younger brother of James. And these two were the sons of Zebedee, and the name of their mother was Salum, or Salum. Salum, uh, we'll see that probably next week, we'll talk about it next week. Salum was the younger sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. So, James... And John, they were brothers, but they were cousins of Jesus. And we'll see that next week. We may not have a time to go through that tonight, but we'll focus on that next week. You'll see that in the scriptures. It's there in your Bible. It's just that maybe you're not aware. But, you know, we keep on learning. That's the purpose of the, purpose of the Bible study. Purpose of the Bible study, we focus on studying the Bible and reading the Bible. And, and we learn something new every time we read it. Because sometimes we, we quickly rush through it. And we don't have time to uh, to investigate, but then we get a chance to do that uh, next week. Salom was the sister of Mary, uh, Jesus' mother. So Salom was Jesus' aunt, and James and John were Jesus' cousins, and that's very very interesting to learn. So we remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he he asked John to take care of his mother. He asked John to take care of his mother because they were relatives, they were family. So James was the first apostle to be martyred for his faith. Remember in Acts chapter 12, we talked about that, I think it's about three weeks ago. You know, when James was martyred by Herod, and what happened is he also wanted to kill Peter. 
And was, while Peter was in jail in chapter 12, while Peter was in jail, he was released by an angel at night. And that's when he rushed uh, and he went to John Mark's house, uh, the other Mary's house. So we, we have seen that. So James was the first one to be martyred for his faith. This very same James that we're talking about, the brother of John. You know, John had a very unique and interesting relationship with Jesus. He was the youngest disciple. You know, in the Jewish culture, to be a disciple, you must be younger than your, your teacher, must be younger than your, your rabbi. So when Jesus started his ministry, he was somewhere around uh, the age of 30. So which means all these disciples, they were younger than 30. In actual fact, some studies indicate that some of them were as young as around 14 or 15. So who could say uh, with confidence that since James, I mean John was the youngest disciple, John was a teenager when he joined the ministry. Peter, I think, was the oldest. He was in his 20s, about 27, 28 or so. And Peter at that time, he was married. We saw that last, is last week? Yeah, last week. We saw that Peter was married. So James, I mean John, he was the youngest. So he was maybe around 14 or 15 years old. So he was still young when he started uh, this ministry thing. And he was the last apostle to die. Actually, he died uh, somewhere around, I think he was almost 90 years old or so when he died. So he was the, the last apostle who remained and who was, uh, he was pastoring a church in Ephesus. And later he was uh, banished and he was taken to the island of Patmos. While he was on the island of Patmos, that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. I think in one of the studies we'll go through that also. He wrote the book of Revelation while he was there and he was one of the three disciples who went uh, he went uh, who were part of of the inner circle you know he he participated in quite a number of uh, ministries or quite a number of miracles or you know where he saw things that other disciples did not see for example he was with jesus uh, during the transfiguration in the mountain he saw moses he saw elijah when Jesus was transfigured. So he, John was part of that. And he was part of the three who, who, who was with Jesus uh, at Gethsemane when he, when he prayed uh, the priestly prayer. So he, he was there. And also when Jairus' daughter was healed, you remember, he took only the three of them into the house. So it was, it was, it was Peter, it was John, and it was James. So everywhere he went, John was with them. He was very, very special to, to Jesus. And John, he was the eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. He did not depend on, you know, other people like, like, like we saw with John Mark. John Mark depended on, on the story of Peter. He depended on Peter to tell him the story of Jesus. But here with, with John, he was part of the ministry. He saw everything that Jesus did. Another thing that you know about John is he wrote three New Testament letters he wrote uh, first john second john and third john and we'll refer to it in um, i mean first john i think we'll refer to it in passing at some point as we continue he also wrote the book of revelation like i said he wrote the book of revelation and i said he wrote from uh, when he wrote the book of john uh, he he was in ephesus and he wrote this to the audience of both jews and gentiles both Jews and Gentiles. They wrote this book somewhere around 85 to 95 AD, somewhere at that time. And when you talk about the Gospel of John, this is the fourth and the last Gospel 
that you know talks about the life of Jesus uh, in the ministry. You know, we have the first gospel uh, that was written. It was the gospel of John Mark, the gospel of John Mark. And what we have seen, it's Luke and Matthew. They got their notes uh, to be able to write their gospel. They got their notes from John Mark. So after Mark wrote the, uh, his gospel, he wrote his book. Then we see Matthew and Luke. They also wrote uh, their book out of John Mark's notes. That is why those three are called synoptic gospels because they are almost similar uh, in nature. They are most, almost they almost have the same stories, almost have the same miracles. You know, so they are almost similar. But when you look at the book of John, it's it's just totally different. It's totally different from the other synoptic gospels, and we'll see that as we as we continue. John is a detailed account of the life of Jesus Christ. And when you look at Matthew and Luke, you know, they record Jesus Christ's physical birth. They, they started from uh, uh, his birth and they also talk about his earthly lineage to connect him with, with David, to connect him with Abraham. So they want to make sure that their readers, they understand that he is part of them. You know, he is part of the Jews. So Mark, he starts with the details of his baptism and adult ministry. You know, he talks about the baptism of Jesus. That's where uh, John Mark starts his gospel. But when you look at John, John does not start with the earthly ministry of Jesus. John does not start with the earthly ministry of Jesus. John starts from the beginning of time. <laughs> That's very interesting. He starts from, you know, before the creation. And he tries to locate Jesus as part of the Godhead. He tries to locate Jesus as part of the Godhead, of the Trinity. So you see him, he says, in the beginning. When he says in the beginning, it means the beginning of the heavens and the earth. It means the beginning of creation. Because God has been there even before the creation. God was there even before the earth was created. Even before the, the, the universe was created, God was there. So God created the universe, God created earth, God created, you know, the universe that we see today, and he put what you call time, what you call time. So time only exists within the universe. Outside the universe, there is no time. Outside the universe, time does not exist. Actually, where God lives, there is no time. And where God lives, there is no time, we call it eternity. We call it eternity because it's outside time. So God lives outside time. That's why God says a day to him, it's almost like a, th a thousand years. Why? Because whatever has happened within that thousand years, God can see everything in one day. Because to him, time does not exist. So John, when he talks about Jesus, he tries to locate Jesus and say, Jesus was part of the Godhead. He says, when we have the beginning, Jesus was already there. In actually, he says, when, when the world was created, Jesus is the one who was part of the creation. And he calls Jesus the Word, the Word, the Word. So in John chapter 1, you know, through, I think it's about up to verse 14 or so, Jesus is being referred to as the Word, as the Word. And later, in verse 14, John says, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. It's like God decided to become part of us. And we'll look at that as we continue. So in the beginning, 
was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That's what you find in the first chapter. Then, like I said, in chapter 2, that's where Jesus, you know, performed the first miracle in Cana. In Cana. And this, uh, this is one of the five uh, miracles that were not recorded in any other gospel. You won't find this miracle in the book, in the gospel of Mark, in the gospel of John, or in the book, I mean, in the gospel of Luke and Matthew. You won't find this. You only find this in the gospel of John. Only find this in the gospel of John. And the book of John wants us to believe that Jesus is God. That is the main purpose of this book. That's the main reason why John, when he writes his book, he starts from the beginning. Because he wants us, his main purpose is to make us believe that Jesus is God. Is God. So we have to believe that when Jesus was here, he was fully man. He was man and a man, a human being walking here on earth. But at the same time, the same Jesus is God. So he was both fully God and fully man. And, and John wants us to believe in him. He wants us to believe that Jesus came to save the world. John begins with telling us of Jesus' origin, his mission, and his function. He tells us why Jesus had to come. And what you, what, you will, what you will see as some of the personalities in the book of John is Jesus Christ himself is the main focus. And he talks about the 12 disciples. He talks about Mary Magdalene. He talks about John uh, the Baptist. I think we'll talk more about Mary Magdalene probably next week or so. Uh, and also, he talks about Lazarus, uh, who was raised from the dead. And he talks about uh, Lazarus' sisters. That's Mary and Martha. And he talks about the Jewish relig religious leaders. And he talks about Pilate also. So these are some of the personalities that you see in the book of John. So John states clearly his purpose for writing this book. He, he, you know, he puts the, the objective of the book, the purpose of the book, right at the end. In John chapter 20, verse 30, the Bible says, And many other signs truly did Jesus, did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So what John is saying is there are other things, other miracles. Actually, John, he calls them signs. There are other signs that Jesus did, but we did not put them in here because I, I handpicked, I selected particular miracles and the purpose of these, in verse 31 he says, but these particular miracles, these particular signs that I have selected, they are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. So he is saying the purpose of writing this book is so that you may believe in Jesus. And with his goal of belief in mind, John excluded other miracles or other signs. So that's why you won't find all the signs or all the miracles in the book of John. He only specified, he only picked up particular miracles. And at the end of each miracle, he will tell you who believed. As we read those miracles, probably we'll see that next week also when we talk about the signs uh, in the book of John. Each one of them at the end will tell you who believed. You know, I remember in the book of, uh, when you talked about the miracle in Cana, at the end he says, then his disciples believed. Then his disciples believed. So every time at the end of the miracle, he will tell us who believed because the purpose of him writing this, uh, this book is that we may believe. So the Gospel of John contained less narrative but more dialogue than the other Gospels. Most of these dialogues that you will find in the book of John, you will never find them in other Gospels. 
No, the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. The dialogue between the woman and the world and Jesus. The, the dialogue in, in verse in chapter 5, you know, in Bethesda uh, pool. You know, those dialogues in, 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 in chapter 8, you see the, adultery, the adulterous woman, the woman who was caught in adultery. All those dialogues, you'll never find them in other gospels. So John, he always put Jesus talking to people, talking to human beings one-on-one. -on -one. John does not aim to chronicle you know, the history or the whole life of Jesus. Actually, he's saying in John chapter 21, verse 25, he says if he could document everything, there are not enough books that could, you know, contain that. So he presents a few signs and teachings that will compel us to believe in Jesus. He says the purpose of him writing this is so we should believe in Jesus. He wants us to start believing the truth. He wants us to believe in Christ as the main truth, not our culture, not the lies that we have heard. And let's quickly go through uh, the summary of the book of John. Like I've said, you know, there are two parts of ministry in the book of John. There is a ministry to the many and there is ministry to the few. Now, in the ministry to the many, that's chapter 1 all the way to chapter 12. You know, he talks about people. He talks about the public ministry of Jesus. But from chapter 13 up to, up to chapter 21, he focuses on Jesus when he ministers to the few. When he ministers to the few. And actually, from chapter 13 to chapter 17, he was talking to his disciples. We'll see that as we, uh, as we continue with our, our studies probably uh, in the next few days or so. But from chapter 13 up to chapter 17, uh, that's where Jesus, you know, uh, he prays for the disciples in, in chapter 17. In chapter, uh, chapter 13, you know, that's when he, he was with the disciples and he washes uh, them. You know, he washes their feet. And Jesus was able even to identify the betrayer. And he says, one of you who is eating with me will betray me. In chapter 14, you know, he talks about him being the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, I know I'm living, but I don't want to leave you alone. I don't want to leave you alone. You have to believe in me and also believe in God. I'm living. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I'm done, I'll come back to you. He says, let your heart not be troubled. Don't be worried. He was comforting his disciples at that point. You know, and what you see in chapter 15, he talks about him being the true vine. And in chapter 16, he, he talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit. So during that time, now in chapter 17, that's when he prays uh, for them and he prays for us also. So during that time, he was only ministering to, to the very few. So what you see is from chapter 1 up to chapter 12, we see the signs that John, that John has been talking about. And from chapter seven, from 13 to 17, we see the sermons that Jesus was uh, speaking to his disciples. And from 18 to 21, we talk about his uh, you know, his, his crucifixion and, and his resurrection. That's what we see there. Then another thing is, like I said, from chapter 1 up to chapter 12, that is public ministry. Public ministry of Jesus. And from chapter 13 up to chapter 21, you know, it's private ministry and his, uh, his crucifixion. So from chapter 1 up to chapter 12, all those things, they take place in, in the area of the Galilee area. And also in the Judea. He used to visit, sometimes he would go to Jerusalem for, uh, for the celebrations. And from chapter 13 up to chapter 21, it takes place in Jerusalem. 
That's why Jesus died. And the first three, I mean, the first part of ministry, it's almost three and a half years. You know, so from chapter 1 up to chapter 12, that is about three and a half years. That's the duration that Jesus was with his disciples uh, in ministry. And from chapter 13 up to chapter 21, uh, that it was only a few, a few days. Actually, you know, when he entered Jerusalem, probably it was uh, maybe let's say on Sunday, he entered Jerusalem and he was crucified on Thursday. So all this from chapter 13 up to chapter 21, it took place in those few days. So that's what we see uh, in this Gospel of, of John. Like I said, the first few um, verses or the first chapter of John, he talks about, in the, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So he's trying to prove to us, prove to his, uh, to, to his listeners, to his readers, to his, to his audience, that Jesus was part of the Godhead from the beginning. And all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. So we have to know Jesus as the one who was there from the beginning. Now what you see here, like I said, uh, let's look at the style that John always uses. Always when John writes, he starts with Jesus as the main focus. In all the writings, in the book, like we said, I said, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John in the book of Revelation. All of them were written by John. Look at, at, his, at, at his style. He says in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. There is John again. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He, he introduces Jesus that he was there from the beginning. Whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. He keeps on emphasizing, using his five senses. That we have heard him, we have seen him, we ate with him, we touched him. So he says, we saw him with our own eyes. He keeps on emphasizing, and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. You remember in John chapter 1, he also, he also talks about the word. He is the word. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. He keeps on emphasizing that he knows this Jesus. He has seen this Jesus. He walked with Jesus. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He has been there forever. Eternal, remember? Eternal means absence of time, without time. So he has been there even before time began. Because time will start, but time will end. So he has been there even before time was there. He has been eternal. He lives in eternity. He was with the Father. You see, Jesus was with the Father. He's part of the Godhead. And then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we, we ourselves have actually seen and heard. So that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus. And now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So John always takes time to introduce Jesus to his readers. He keeps on introducing Jesus to his audience. Let's look at, uh, at the book of Revelation. He also, you know, the first part, what he does in the first chapter, 
in the book of Revelation. He says, this is the revelation of Jesus. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ. So always when John writes, he keeps on introducing Jesus as a priority. Jesus as a priority. So he keeps on reminding us that Jesus is the foundation. To John, the foundation of everything should be Jesus Christ. The foundation of our lives should be Jesus Christ. The foundation of our relationships should be Jesus Christ. The foundation of our marriages should be Jesus Christ. The foundation of our success should be Jesus Christ. The foundation of our churches should be Jesus Christ. The foundation of everything should be Christ because right from the beginning he has been there. Let's look at John chapter 1 verse 1. And he keeps on introducing to us Jesus from the beginning. John chapter 1 he says in verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he keeps on saying he was in the beginning with God so he keeps on repeating and emphasizing in every book that John writes he makes sure that we understand that Jesus should be the foundation of our lives all things not some things all things were made through him so Jesus has been part of the God that has been part of the creation from the beginning. And without him, without him, nothing was made that was made. For in him was life, and the life was the light of man. In verse 5 he says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So he came, but people did not understand him. He came, people did not recognize that he is God. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So he is God who visited earth, but this earth, this world, did not recognize that God has visited us. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So those who believe in, here is the word, those who believe in his name. So he says, if you believe in his name, you also become part of the kingdom. You also become part of the children of God. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh. Remember we talked about the word as God, the word as Jesus, that Jesus, he became flesh and dwelt among us. He became Emmanuel, God with us. And we beheld his glory and the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the only begotten, he's the only child who came from the Father. He's the only begotten son. So, in other words, there are three groups of people here. There are those who, are, who refuse to become children of God by not believing. But there are those who become children of God by believing in Christ. But he say Jesus did not become the child of God by believing, but he's the only begotten son. In other words, he's the only one who came from God. All of us were adopted into the kingdom because of faith. So, Jesus is the only begotten son that's why john 3 16 talks about the same thing also that for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son jesus is the only begotten son all of us we are adopted into the kingdom into the family because we believe 
Because we believe. So when we believe in him, we become part of the kingdom also. John, maybe the final gospel, but his narrative begins far, like we have said, far earlier than the other three gospels start. You know, John defines Christ's status before he existed in this world. He tells us who Jesus is and why we should believe. Why we should believe in Jesus. Because he's the Messiah. He's from God. Now, John, we see him, he, he opens with the beginning of all creation. In the beginning. In the beginning. And these are the words that we see where also in the book of Genesis chapter 1. The same words in the beginning. In the beginning. God created heavens and earth in, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. So here we see John also, he keeps on emphasizing the same thing. If you have heard, I mean, if somebody has read the Torah, they will know that those words in the beginning, they come from the Torah. They come from the first book, Genesis chapter 1. So John says, in the he keeps on referring us to Jesus as God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. This is what we call incarnation. Incarnation is when God becomes flesh. When God becomes a human being. When God comes down from heaven. And he comes down and he walks with people. He walks with people. So to, to John, incarnation is the key to the understanding of Christ. God, it's like he downgraded his status of being God and he moved down he came down to our level to the status of human being so when he came down and became he became a human being he was fully man and fully God at the same time so Christ is God in the flesh so when Christ was walking whether it's from uh, from Galilee all the way to Judea or when he walked around Jerusalem or he walked around the, around the sea of Galilee you know it was God walking on earth and John he challenges us to believe in that Christ, to believe in that Jesus, because if we can't believe in that Jesus, there is no way we can go to heaven, because Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only one who knows the both worlds, who has lived in the heavenly world, and who has lived also in this earthly world. Jesus is the only one. So he refers to Christ's miracles as signs. The purpose of those signs is to point towards Christ, as the Messiah. He keeps on emphasizing the purpose of pointing us to believing in Jesus, not on people. We don't have to believe in our pastors. You don't have to believe in prophets. You don't have to believe in whatsoever. It's your leader or any other person or Muhammad or, or whatever people believe in or Buddha or whatever. That's why he's saying Jesus is unique. He's the only begotten son. He's different from any other religion. He's different from Buddha. He's different from Muhammad. He's different from our ancestors because he's the only one, only one who came from God, who came straight from God. He died and he resurrected. All these other guys, all these other prophets, all these other so-called prophets, all these other so-called religious leaders, if you can go to their graves, their graves are still there. Some of them, their bones are still there in their graves. They did not resurrect. Jesus is the only one who conquered death. He's the only one who conquered death, who resurrected from the dead. Because he came straight from God. So he's the only one that we can call God and nobody else. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. 
Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 and it will tie to what we are talking about today. He says, and the Lord God formed man. This is a creation of man. And the Lord God formed man. When he formed man, he formed him of the dust of the ground. This is very important. Dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. A living soul. Brothers and sisters, I want us to talk about the tripartite or trichotomy of man. Trichotomy of man. Let's go back also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Paul put it very much, much clearer than Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless, at the beginning or at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So, right from the beginning, the Bible tells us that man was formed of the dust of the ground. What is the dust of the ground? The dust of the ground is the body. So, man consists of three components. The dust of the ground, that is his body. That is the body that we, we know. When you look at me, you see my body. When I look at you, I see your body. And the body that we are in right now is the earthly body. It's the earthly body. It can only survive here on earth. It does not have, you know, it cannot survive in another, uh, uh, like another realm, like the heavenly realm. And we'll see that as we continue. Uh, Paul talks about that in the book of Corinthians. So, the dust of the ground, that is the, that is the, the body that we have. And he continues, the Bible continues to say, and he breathed. When the Bible says he breathed, that is the spirit. That is the spirit. So, man consists of the body the spirit and the soul. And he became a living soul. In actual fact, we as human beings, we are spirit. We are spirit. This spirit, it lives in a body. The spirit lives in a body and we have a soul, a mind or a psyche. So when the spirit separate from the body, when the spirit separate from the body, then... We say the person has died. The person has passed on. It's when the spirit separates from the body. Because the body cannot live in the heavenly realms. Actually, Paul puts it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40. He says, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. The earthly body, that's the one that we are living in right now. And the earthly bodies can only survive here on earth. And the, body, the glory of the earth, heavenly body is different. And the glory of the earthly one is also another one. It's different. So, what we see here is when Jesus was with God in heaven, he had the heavenly body. And the heavenly body only survives in the heavenly body. In that spiritual realm. The earthly body is the, is the body that we are in right now. So, for Jesus to come and save us, he had to come and die for our sins. Like we said, there are earthly bodies and there are heavenly bodies. Here is Jesus with God up in heaven, in the heavenly body. And only a physical body is allowed to live on earth. Like we have seen here, only the earthly body can live on earth. Our earthly body does not qualify to live in heaven. And also the heavenly body does not qualify. I mean, the earthly body does not qualify to go to heaven. 
The heavenly body also does not qualify to live on earth. We have two separate bodies here. The heavenly body and the earthly body. In actual fact, in the book of First Thessalonians, Paul talks about it when he talks about rapture. That when, when Christ comes, our bodies, we shall be changed. We shall be converted from this earthly body that we see, from this temporary tent that we see. And in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed to the heavenly bodies. So we'll, we'll put on our new bodies. We'll put on our new clothing. We'll put on our new uniform. And the spirit alone, it cannot move around here on earth. When the spirit alone moves around here on earth, that's what we call ghost. He becomes a ghost. So he cannot live here on earth. Now what you see here is, the spirit can only live in a body to, to operate. So the spirit needs a body to, to function. Whether it's the Holy Spirit or the evil spirit, the demons cannot function without a body. The demons have to find somebody to work through. The Holy Spirit is the same. Jesus says, when, when I leave, the Holy Spirit, I think it's chapter 16 in the book of John, the Holy Spirit will come and he will be your comforter. He will be with you. And when we go to the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come down as promised. And he indwelled the disciples. And the Bible says this promise is not only for them, it's for everyone. As long as you are a Christian, you qualify to receive the Holy Spirit. You qualify to receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit needs you, he needs me in order to function. Now what you see is Jesus has to come back, he has to come down on earth. But we have a problem. He could not violate his own rules. The rule is the heavenly bodies cannot live on earth. And the earthly body cannot live in heaven. So when God, the Son, had to come down, he needed an earthly body to function on earth. Because Jesus will not walk around as a ghost. He will not walk around as a spirit. Nobody will believe in him. So he had to find a body to function through. So he wanted to come and die for us, but his heavenly body is not allowed to live here on earth. So how did God solve this problem? It's just like somebody with two professions. Let's say you are a nurse and maybe you are also a policeman or a, yeah, a policeman and you are a nurse at the same time. So what you can do is, when it's time for you to go to the hospital, you put on the hospital uniform. When it's time for you to go and work uh, in the police department, then you put on your police uniform. That's exactly what Jesus did. So when he, for him to come down here, he had to put on an earthly body. So Jesus had to downgrade and put on earthly uniform so he can be able to walk on earth. He could be able to function on earth. He had to put on the earthly body. And God chose Mary. He used Mary's body to carry Jesus, to carry him. So Mary is not God, but Mary's body was used to carry Jesus. That is why Jesus has no earthly father. Because Jesus came down straight from God. That's why Joseph is not Jesus' father. And there's no earthly father who will qualify to become Jesus' father. So Jesus came down from God directly into Mary's body. Mary is not God. We have to understand this. 
Mary is not God. Her body was only used to temporarily carry God, to temporarily carry the Spirit, to temporarily carry Jesus. So Mary was a normal human being like any other woman. That's why she, she even had uh, children after that. That's why Mary did not remain a virgin forever. She, not, she was only a virgin before she gave birth to Jesus. But after that, she, she was married uh, to Joseph and they had children, about six more children after that. So Mary is not a virgin anymore. And anybody who still believes that Mary is a virgin is being deceived. And Mary is not God. Mary does not represent you before God. Mary does not stand before you and God. It's only Jesus who died for you at the cross of Calvary. Mary did not die for you. So when Jesus was born, he was called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel means God is with us. Here we see God from heaven. He came down and he was born as Jesus. He's the firstborn of God. He's the only begotten son of God. And when Jesus was walking around, there are some few things that we'll see here as we are going to close. When Jesus calls himself God, people got confused because they did not understand where he came from. Some of them, they got offended when he says he's God because they only know their God, Jehovah, up in heaven. They did not believe that God can come down and they did not believe. And their, their, their expectation of Messiah was somebody who will come and set them free from the Roman rule, from the Roman Empire. That's the Messiah that they were looking for. So God came down. And Jesus says, I only do what my father wants me to do. Because my father, he says, him and, and the father, they are one. He said, my father and I, we are one. We are one. Because he's from the Father, and no one will go to the Father except through him. He's an exceptional case. He's the only one who can take us to heaven. That's why Jesus is the only one who qualifies to take you to heaven. Nobody else. He's the only one who lives in both worlds. He's the only one who lived in heaven and who lived here on earth. He's the one who knows what's happening up in heaven. He's the only one who knows what's happening here on earth. That's why the Bible says God or Jesus can sympathize with us because he has been through all the temptations that you are going through. He knows everything that you are going through. He has gone through that also. When we accept him, when we become part of him, when we get ourselves attached to Jesus through faith, the Bible says we become citizens of heaven also. We have eternal life. When do we receive eternal life? You receive eternal life not when you die. You receive eternal life today when you accept him. When you believe in Jesus, then you also become a dual citizen. You have dual citizenship. The Bible says our lives are hidden up with Christ in heaven. When you believe in him, then you become the citizen of earth, but also you become the citizen of heaven immediately after you accept Christ. So as a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. And the citizen of earth. You have dual citizenship. In John chapter 1 verse 12 he continues to say, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gives them or he gave them the right, the authority to become children of God. You also become a child of God when you accept Christ. In John chapter 8 verse 58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. And they did not understand what he meant. 
How can you say you were there even before Abraham? Because Jesus, what he meant is, I was there even before the earth was created. The world was created. Even before Abraham was born, I was there. And that confused the Jews. They did not understand. What does it mean? And somebody said, you're not even, you're not even 50. You are still younger than 50. But he said, you were there when, when Abraham was born. Because Abraham, our ancestor, he died long time ago. Many years ago, almost 500 years ago. Jesus used the I am construction without compliment. When he says, I am, those who read the Torah, immediately Jesus said, I am. Those who read the Torah, they knew that this is the name of Yahweh, Jehovah. He said, he's the only I am. They thought he's blasphemous. How can you still call yourself God? How can you say you are part of the Godhead? He called himself, I am. And immediately he says, I am. What they, reminded, what they remembered was Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. They remembered Exodus 3, verse 13. Because when, when Moses was supposed to go and set the children of Israel free from Pharaoh, Moses asked God a question. He said, I see what you are saying. I hear what you are saying. But when I go to them, what do I tell them? What do I tell them who sent me? In, in Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me a question. What is his name? What is his name? When they ask me, who are you? What do I tell them? Then what shall I say? What shall I tell them? In verse 14, for the first time God reveals his name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you, uh, you are to say to the Israelites. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus said, I am, to all the Jews, to all those who have read the Torah, to all those who have read the book of Exodus, they knew I am is the name of God. So when Jesus says, I am, they said, what? What? You call yourself God? What? You call yourself God? I am, in Hebrew, it's Eye, Asha, Eye. Eye, Asha, Eye. I am who I am. What it means is, I will become what I choose to become. <laughs> I'm everything. I'm everything. I can become whatever I want to become. I can be your healer. I can be your savior. I can be your protector. I can be your provider. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm the one who provides for you. I am who I am. I will become what I choose to become. He's not limited by time. He's, limit, he's not limited by, by, by a time frame or, or, or a period of some kind. He's God forever. There's no term of office with God. Unlike our presidents who are president for about three years or four years, some countries five years, and their term of office is over. With God, there's no term of office. He will become what he chooses to become. I am who I am. Eye, Asha, Eye, it means I will be what I will be. Not limited by anyone. I create. I create what I create. God is the creator. He's not the created. 
God is not a creature. That's why you can't tell me or you can't ask a question, when was God born? Because that question, it simply means God is limited to time. Once you say when, then you are limiting God to time. God is limitless. He's limitless. I am the existing one. I am all that you need. God is everything that you need. And Jesus he kept on emphasizing. He says, I am. I am is the ultimate statement of completeness. God is complete. He is self-sufficient. He is self-existent. And he is our immediate present. He is immediately present wherever you need him. You can pray anytime. He is the Emmanuel. God with us. God's existence does not depend upon anyone else. His plans for you do not depend on any circumstances. It does not depend on the economy. It does not depend on who is the president. It does not depend on who is the leader of your country. God can do anything he wants to do because he is God. He will be the eternally constant God. He will always be there. He is ever present. He is unchangeable. He is completely sufficient in himself. His will is always the best for us. That's why the best prayer that you can make, the best prayer that I can make to God, instead of giving God instructions, instead of going, giving God commands, I should go to God and say, God, let your will be done because God knows what's best for me. I can't try to twist God's arm. God will do what he wants to do at any time he wants and at his appointed time because he is the great I am. He accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. He's God Almighty. He's the creator and not the created. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's God eternal. Remember, eternal simply means he lives outside time. There's no time that can, that can confine God. In, 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 in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha means the beginning. Omega means the end. God has been there from the beginning and God will always be, be there even at the end. He's the Ayer, Asha, Ayer. Jesus presents himself as God incarnate. Unfortunately, the Jews and the priests, they did not understand him. Throughout the Gospel of John, he keeps on emphasizing it. Jesus, he keeps on saying, I am, I am, I am. And John, he records about seven I am's. That's the name of God's statement. When Jesus says, I am, he was saying, Asha, I am, I'm God, I'm God. This is the name of God. And they said, he's so blasphemous. How can he call himself God? Let's quickly look at the seven statements that Jesus said here. In John chapter 6.35, he says, I'm the bread of life. Jesus sustains and provides for us. Whatever you need, Jesus is there to provide for you. I don't know what you're needing today, but God is there to provide for you. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord who provides. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, he continues to say, I am the light of the world. When you need guidance in your life, when you need direction in your life, Jesus is there to give you a direction. Maybe as I'm speaking, you have a big decision to make in your life. I don't know what you need to decide about. Maybe you need to make a decision about your family. Maybe it's a decision about your career. Maybe it's a decision about your life. Or it's a decision about your future. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm, I'm the, I'm the light. Why don't you go to him and ask for direction? He's there to give you direction. He continues to say, I'm the door of the ship. In John chapter 10, verse 7 and 9. 
Jesus protects his sheep. He protects his followers. He wants to make sure that he closes the door against the enemy, against the thief. He, he acts like a shepherd. He protects his flock. My brother, my sister, your life is hidden with Christ up in heaven. There is no devil who can, uh, who can destroy you. The Bible says in John chapter 10, the devil has, has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. As long as life is hidden with Christ, no devil will touch you. No devil will do anything about your life. You have to believe and accept Christ in your life. And he will protect you because he is a good shepherd. He's, the, he's always there for you. He's the door. In chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. A shepherd is the one who can take care of the sheep. Jesus cares for you, my brother. Jesus cares for you, my sister. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 7, the Bible says, Casting all your burdens, all your worries unto him, because he cares for you. God cares for you. Maybe as I'm speaking, you feel like you are rejected by your family, rejected by your brothers, rejected by your friends, rejected by your colleagues, rejected by your church, rejected by your pastor, rejected by the community. You might have been rejected by people, but God has not rejected you. God cares for you. He's a good shepherd. He says, I am a good shepherd. My brother, my sister, our heavenly father watches over us. Your ancestors are not watching over you. Your dead father, your dead grandfather, your dead grandmother, he's not watching over you. They are not your angels. People do not become angels when they die. That is a, that, that, that is a lie from the pit of hell. It's only God who watches over you. It's only God who watches over you. It's not the dead people who are watching over you. Our heavenly father watches over us because he's the I am. He's our shepherd. He says, I am the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. In John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus is the only true way to the Father. He's the only one who knows the way to the Father. Because he has been there. He came from heaven. So he knows the way back to heaven. He's the only one who knows the way. There is no alternative way. If somebody tells you that, oh, all religions are the same. All religions are the same. We're all praying to the same God. No, we're not praying to the same God. Not all religions are the same. And not all religions are equal. We are not all equal. We are not all the same. Jesus is the only way. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there is no alternative way to heaven. There is no alternative way. There is no substitute. You know, today we are living in the world of substitutes. There is substitute sugar, substitute meat, substitute vegetable, whatever. You know, there is a substitute for everything. But there is no substitute when it comes to salvation. Jesus is the only way to heaven. And he continues to say, in John chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 5, he says, I'm the true vine. If we abide in him, if we stay attached to him, he says, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you shall ask for anything, and it shall be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. My brother, my sister, we have to stay attached to Christ. We have to abide to Christ. Abide, to abide means to stay in him, to remain in him. Then we become fruitful when we stay in him. We start to live a life of purpose when we are in Christ. Because all of us, we are born for a purpose. There's a reason why you are born. There's a reason why you are here. And God wants you to live a life of purpose. He wants you to understand that you are here for a reason. 
That's the purpose why you were born. Maybe you don't know your purpose. Go to God and say, Lord, I want to stay attached to you. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I here? That's the reason why you are here. And God wants you to discover your purpose. And you start to live according to that purpose. And finally, in John chapter 11, 25, Jesus says, I mean, after the resurrection of Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying death is not the end for those who are in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I know we have lost a lot of our friends. We have lost a lot of our family members. We have lost a lot of our church members because of COVID and other situations. But there is hope in Christ. There is hope in Christ. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. As long as you're in Christ, death is not the end for you. There will come a time when you resurrect with Christ. Because Christ has conquered the grave. Jesus is the great I am. He's God. He's God. He's God the incarnate. Yes, he's Jesus. Fully human. And fully God. While he was here on earth. Let me say this in closure. No matter how painful your situation could be as I'm speaking right now. No matter what you're going through in your life. No matter how tough or how difficult life could be. Remember this. All situations, including yours, are temporal. The question is, do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? In actual fact, the original manuscript of the book of John, it is said that it has 99 repetition of the word believe, 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 believe. 99. Maybe the reason why the final one to make it 100 is still missing. John wanted to confess and say, let me make the hundredth one. I believe. I believe. I believe. Do you believe also in him? I'm going to pray with you tonight. And if you believe in him, I assure you and I guarantee you that you'll have eternal life in him.